God, uh, we do come before you, and Lord, as Mark prayed, uh, the tragic killings that happened uh, in Atlanta, Lord, we do uh, lift up and, and pray uh, for the Asian community, uh, Lord, who have endured not only these killings this week, but have, um, Lord, endured thousands of, of hate crimes over the last year. Um, and God, we, we lament this. Lord, as, as your people, we are mourning and are burdened that fellow image bearers are suffering in this way. And God, we want to uh, weep with those who are weeping and, and comfort the broken. And Lord, we do believe that the gospel is the hope. And we pray, God, that you would move, that you would, um, Lord, just comfort those who are hurting. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity that we have to look at your word this morning. And Lord, we pray that you'd give us an openness, Lord, that you would bind up and remove all of the distractions from our midst. Lord, that we'd be focused on your voice right now. So Lord, I pray by your spirit and through your word that you would speak to us, God, that you would encourage, that you would convict, Lord, and that you would most importantly lift up Jesus right now. We pray in his name, amen. On April 14, 1912, uh, the, Titanic, the Titanic struck an iceberg and was swallowed up in the icy waters of the North Atlantic. Over 1,500 people died, about two-thirds of the passengers, as the ship that not even God could sink sank. I know that we, know, we all know about the tragedy of the Titanic, Titanic, but what you may not know this morning is that there was an even greater tragedy that took place in that many of the people who died could have and should have been saved. In fact, the Titanic was certified to offer lifeboat spaces to almost 1,200 people. But of the 20 lifeboats that they used uh, that day, only a few of them were filled to full capacity. In fact, several of them were less than half filled. And so of the 711 people that were rescued, 40% Okay, 40% of the total lifeboat spaces remained unfilled. In the following months, as the investigators were trying to determine why so many lifeboat spaces remained uh, unfilled, they discovered two startling misperceptions. The first one is that the crewmen who were on board of the Titanic were so gripped with excessive caution and fear that they mistakenly assumed that filling up these lifeboats to full capacity might lead to these boats breaking in half as they were being lowered into the water. So they just avoided filling them to full capacity. But then the second thing that they discovered was that the passengers themselves, they lacked a sense of urgency to actually get into the lifeboats because after all, this was the Titanic. This is the unsinkable ship. So they didn't get into the lifeboats. And so as a result, because of fear and because of a lack of urgency, many of the people who died could have and should have been saved. And I share that with you this morning because I believe as it relates to our role to go and take the good news of Jesus Christ, the, the saving good news of Jesus Christ, I just wonder if the same assessment could be true of us today who are called to take the gospel to those who are spiritually drowning. I wonder if sometimes our hearts gets filled with, with fear, gets filled with this lack of urgency that it leads us to not sharing the gospel more regularly. 
Statistically, one could make that case. In fact, according to one recent study on evangelism, 75% of all Christians do not share the gospel consistently. Only 50% have shared their faith in the last year alone. 90% of all Christians have never actually led someone to receiving Jesus. I share those statistics with you this morning, uh, trust me, not to make you feel guilty, okay? That's not my aim today. It's really to lay before you that this is something that we all struggle with. And if this is something that we all struggle with, then we should be asking the question, why? Like why for us who are followers of Jesus, who believe in the gospel, who from last week's message, we adore the God of the gospel, Why then do we struggle to regularly articulate and share the gospel with others? I want to suggest to you this morning that the disconnect, I think, lies in our own hearts where so often we lack the proper motivations that moves us from just believing in the gospel to then articulating the gospel. Now, we all believe we should be sharing the gospel. We all believe that Sharing the gospel is a good thing, but there's a disconnect from moving from there to actually this being a conviction that we regularly do and we regularly participate in. And I think that's where uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, our passage this morning, is going to help us because Paul is going to outline three powerful motivations to sharing the gospel regularly. Now, before we dive in, I just want to speak into this a little bit. I just want to change the optics as far as how we see, how we view sharing the gospel. Because this morning, as I talk about articulating the gospel and and sharing the gospel, I'm not predominantly thinking uh, about those experiences of showing up and and, and approaching a a random stranger and just kind of cold turkey going into a five-minute presentation of the gospel and then walking away. Like that might be included, but that's not what I have in mind this morning. What I have in mind this morning is for us to be so fluent in the language of the gospel that Jesus is coming out in our normal conversations with both believers and unbelievers, right? That Jesus is so on your heart that he's on your lips at all times, right? Whether you're talking to uh, your fam- people in your family, your friends, whether you're engaged in a conversation with your neighbor or, or your coworkers, Jesus is showing up in those conversations because he's so on your heart. And that happens when you become fluent in the gospel, when you have the ability to speak the language of the gospel easily and effectively in any conversation. You're not forcing it, but it's just coming out naturally because whatever our hearts are immersed in, that's what we end up talking about. Like you talk about that which you love. In fact, if, if you've been around the Beals family lately, you'll know that we've been all about the crumble cookies, right? And if you haven't had them, you need to go get some today or or tomorrow. It's in Fishers. They are the best cookie I've ever had in my life. Like they're fresh, they're hot. They come out with new flavors every week. They are unbelievable. And and it seems like every day we've kind of had them, you know, lying around the house. In fact, someone dropped off cookies, crumble cookies at our house this week. I don't know who, who did that? But I just want to, if that's you in this room, thank you. Uh, I've gained a couple pounds this week because of that. 
But, but because we have loved these cookies so much, we have just naturally told people about them. Like our whole small group is all in on crumble cookies because we shared with them the amazing cookies from crumble cookies. And it wasn't like me and Lindsay sat down like, okay, we need to evangelize people to believe in the greatness of cookies. We didn't do that. It just kind of came out naturally because our hearts have been immersed in the goodness of these cookies. Look, that principle needs to be applied as it relates to sharing the gospel. Like if we believe that Jesus is so good, if we believe that he is incredible, that he's worth following, that he can save your life, if we believe that, then we will naturally talk about him in our conversations with those around us. And that happens, I believe, when our hearts are saturated in the goodness of Christ. And so we're gonna look at this morning, this passage, and how we can get to that place where it's just naturally overflowing in everyday living. So three motivations to get into that place. Here's the first one I think Paul introduces to us in verse 11, and where he talks about this idea of knowing the fear of the Lord. This is a very interesting phrase. This, this healthy fear of the Lord, this phrase could actually be translated as having reverence for God or having an awe of God, of who he is. And this is what drove Paul to then persuade others. Well, we'll persuade them how? Persuade them to what? We'll persuade others to believe in Jesus and to be reconciled with God. Jump down to verse 20. Paul says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Okay, so, so Paul is, is persuading others to be reconciled to God, to believe in Jesus because of this idea of having this healthy fear of God. Now, what does this mean to be, to be filled with this fear of God? Well, I think it means to be so gripped by the bigness of God, the majesty of God, the holiness of God, the transcendence of God, that he is what is driving your life that you're so in awe of who he is that you seek to please him in all that you do. That's actually what Paul says in verse nine, that he is, is seeking with his life to please God. And when your life is filled with this reverence for who God is, God's voice becomes the strongest voice in your life, that his influence is the strongest influence in how you live. And I think, that's, I think that's important to recognize. I think it's important to recognize that all of us have different voices and different influences that impact the way that we live. Like if you have a job, if you have a boss, your boss has a strong voice, a strong influence in your job performance at work. If you're married, your spouse has a strong voice, a strong influence in the way that you live. If your parents are living, most likely they have a strong voice, a strong influence in how you live. Even fear has a voice in our lives from time to time and a strong influence. Shame has a strong voice and a strong influence in our life. Insecurities can, can influence us. And yet what Paul is showing us is that the only voice, the only influence that is bigger and stronger than any other voice in this world 
is God's. That God's voice, God's influence has the ability to drown out these other influences, these other voices, so that he can have the biggest influence and the biggest impact in how we live our lives. And that is true when your life is filled with this healthy fear, this this awe and this adoration for who God is, because then it drives you to want to persuade others to know this God that you're in awe of. In fact, let me put it this way. I can tell, if we sat down and and had a conversation, I can tell the size of the God that you believe in and how you understand him, how you view him, by how consistently you are sharing the gospel and trying to persuade others. I can tell by if you're filled with this healthy fear of the bigness of God in your consistency to, to try to persuade others. If I'm having that conversation with you, I'm not asking you, hey, hey, spell out your theology to me. Tell me about the God that you believe in. No, I'm, I'm actually gonna ask you, are you trying to persuade others to believe in this God that you claim is so good? Are you seeking to, to share how good God is with others because you're utterly convinced. See, any of us can say things about what we believe about God, but your actions prove what you actually believe about God. And for Paul, it's trying to persuade others was a demonstration of how big God was to Paul. Look, that's why I think last week we spent three ways, or we spent time looking at these three steps to cultivating an adoration for who God is. Because until you come to this place in your life where you're filled with with this all of God, with with how big he is, you will never consistently share the good news of Jesus with others. I think being filled with the greatness of Jesus is one of the, the greatest motivations for us to be gospel fluent and for us to overcome the fear and the insecurities and that lack of urgency that, that tends to keep us from sharing the good news. As the expression goes, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood, don't assign them task and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Look, in other words, if, if you want to be gospel fluent, Don't be motivated by guilt. Don't be caught up in the how-tos of evangelism, but flood your heart with the endless immensity of God's greatness. And that will propel you forward. Paul had that and it led him to persuading others. Well, the next powerful motivation, I think, for being gospel fluent, for articulating the gospel consistently is found in verse 14, and that is the love of Christ. Paul declares, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. So Paul here is declaring that it is the love of Jesus that motivated his persuading, his imploring, him trying to influence others to believing in Jesus and being reconciled. And I love this word that he uses. The word for control can be translated as to be compelled. That Paul was compelled by the love of Christ to go and persuade others. Look, if you know Paul's story, you know that he experienced firsthand God's love for him. 
that God's love is best demonstrated in the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus's death on the cross. That even for Paul, Jesus's death was this announcement of love, that Jesus made a way for us to be forgiven, for us to be accepted before a holy God when there was no other way. And that reality captured Paul's heart so much that he dedicated his life to sharing the good news with those around him. Look, I think this is a game changer in terms of talking about sharing the gospel consistently. Like when, when the reality of God loving you, when that floods your heart and it's captivated you, that has the ability to overcome fear of man. It has the ability to overcome these insecurities that we all have of not knowing what to say, how to answer this question, or, or how, do I, how do I approach it that way? God's love, when it captures you, drives you forward to sharing the same love with those around us. I mean, when you think about it for a moment, when you think about the gospel, and for Paul, that's why he moves into this phrase that one has died for all, therefore all have died. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the perfect son of God dying in the place of wretched sinners like you and me and giving us his righteousness so we can be accepted before God. And what Paul is doing here is he's saying, look, Jesus was motivated, yes, for the glory of God, but he was motivated out of a love for you out of a love for the world. That's why God sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Look, this reality, we just need to sit in for a moment this morning because I, I fear that the reality that God loves us can so often become this cliche. And, and I just wanna, I don't wanna move too quickly past this. I want us to just meditate on this reality that God loves you this morning. And I want us to just take that and to move it from something that we believe up here and to, and to push it down into our hearts so that it captures us. Look, God loves you this morning. Well, like the, the creator of the universe loves you today. The one who holds all things together loves you. The one who commands the sun when to rise and it obeys, loves you. The one who tells demons what to do and they submit, loves you today. The, the one who, catch this, the one who knows everything about you, everything, all of your dirtiness, all of your sin, all of your secrets, all of your mess, he knows all of it, and yet he loves you perfectly and with an everlasting love. Look, the fact that we all know John 3.16, like God loves the way, he doesn't just love the world, he loves you personally. He doesn't just love his creation generally. He loves the you that's sitting in that chair right now with all of your struggles and all of your sin. Like he doesn't just love the, the cleaned up version of yourself or, or the best version of you. No, God loves you at your worst. God loves you.
Look, we just need to sit in that because that, that's everything. Like that's, that's life-changing when that gets inside of your heart. Like have you ever had that moment where, where you're just worshiping the Lord or you're spending time with him alone or maybe you're talking about him with, with someone else and it just hits you? Like, like that truth just like stuns you and, and you think to yourself, I can't believe this is true. Like, I can't believe the one who has created everything out of nothing knows me by name and loves me perfectly. And you think to yourself, it's all true. It's all true. And I wonder, church, this morning, is, is your heart gripped with that reality today? Are, are you filled with, with the wonder of God's love for you. Because that's how you what? If you are, and if you are living in that reality where you just can't get over the fact that God loves me, a wretched sinner, when those opportunities come to sharing that love with other people, you're gonna walk right into them. It, it's, it's gonna be natural. Your, your enjoyment of God's love for you is going to overflow as you interact with the people around you, whether they're believers or unbelievers, you, you just can't t- stop talking about God's love for them. And I think this is a powerful, powerful motivation. In fact, Charles Spurgeon, I think, brings the heat in this quote where he says, if Jesus is precious to you, if Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You'll be whispering it into your child's ear. You will be telling it to your husband. You will be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Without the charms of eloquence, you will be more than eloquent. Your heart will speak and your eyes will flash as you talk of his sweet love. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. If you really know Christ, you are like one that has found honey. You will call others to taste of its sweetness. You are like the beggar who has discovered an endless supply of food. You must go tell the hungry crowd that you have found Jesus and you are anxious that they should find him too. Man, what a challenging word. And, and to connect the dots today, you know, so much we want to get to the, the practical how-tos of sharing the gospel. Like, show me how to do this. But look, this is it right here. Like, if you, if you understand God's love for you, if Jesus is precious to you, that's all you need to go and share it. Because the reality is, is that we are naturally evangelizing people in all kinds of other ways. I mean, if you talk to nearly anybody who's watching college basketball these days and this weekend, like they're gonna talk about their team, that which they love. And look, as an OSU fan, and I know there's some Purdue fans in here, we can all be sad together, right? And if you're an IU fan, well, you didn't even make it. So we're all just one big happy family needing to press into the gospel today to find our comfort. But this is, this is so important to, to make sure that our hearts are filled up and they're warmed towards Jesus as we think about sharing it with others. 
Well, those are two powerful motivations, the greatness of Jesus, the love of Jesus. There's one more here I wanna share with us, and that is the surrendered example of Jesus in verse 15. Notice the connection Paul makes here where he says, and he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. See, Paul's point here is that because Jesus surrendered everything and died for us, we should surrender everything and now live for him. And that's the call of the gospel. The call of the gospel is not just to, to believe in Jesus and then live however we want to live. The call of the gospel is to believe in Jesus and to die to yourself, to die to your comforts, to die to your fears, to die to your dreams, and, and to die to your selfishness and live for the mission of Jesus. That's what Jesus has called us to do. In Luke chapter 9, he, Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the father and of the holy angels. Look, I think we need to ask ourselves the question, do we trust in Jesus only for our eternity, only for heaven, or are we trusting him moment to moment on a daily basis? Are you and I, are we waking up in the morning and praying to God saying, God, I wanna live a surrendered life today. Whoever you place on my path of life, wherever you take me, help me to talk about the love of Jesus. Open my eyes for those opportunities. That's a prayer we need to pray because Jesus gave up all. So can you, and you can live for him. Well, before we close, I, I don't just want to close the sermon with kind of a, hey, go get them, church, type of a, of a message. That, that motivation won't get you past Tuesday. But this morning, I want to give you some practical steps in how to grow in this area of sharing the gospel. And uh, the first thing I want to do before I give you some uh, four practical ways to grow in this, I just want you to hear from one of our elders and members, Dan Flynn, uh, as he talks about what it looks like to sharing the gospel in his life. So here's Dan Flynn for us. Good morning, church. It's, uh, it's great to be with you this morning. Pastor Chris asked if I would take a, just a few minutes to um, explain not just how do we take the gospel and apply it to our own lives, but how do we take the gospel and begin to articulate that to other people around us. So I thought um, a good place to begin would be to begin with a confession. And my confession to you is, is simply this. I am not the greatest evangelist in the world. I'm really not. In fact, when I hear the word evangelism, I actually get nervous. Like, I don't have a panic attack, but I, I do kind of get uh, nervous on the inside. Something about that really scares me. Now, I've had the privilege of, I came to Christ in college, and since then, I had the privilege of working with Campus Crusade for Christ for 37 years. But in those 37 years, I had the privilege of sharing the gospel quite frankly, thousands of times with collegians. And it was some of the most joyful moments of my entire life was being able to articulate the good news that Jesus died and rose again for their sake. 
So uh, uh, I have this, uh, this dual thing going on where I'm both afraid of evangelism and yet it's some of the times I feel the most alive in all of life. We came up with a definition that I think is really helpful in, tar- in terms of um, how to articulate the gospel. And the definition is this, taking the initiative to share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. Let me say that one more time. So success in articulating the gospel is taking the initiative to share Christ, to share Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit and then leaving the results to God. Let's break it down one by one real quickly. The first is uh, simply taking the initiative to share Jesus. It's necessary for us to simply display a little bit of courage and take the initiative to drop Jesus's name into our everyday conversations. Have you ever been around a young lady who uh, perhaps just got engaged? She just got engaged. And so, her, you know, she gets a manicure and gets her nails all perfect and they start taking pictures so she can put the pictures of the glowing ring <laughs> on Facebook and other social media. And she, you walk around her, she's just beaming all the time and she can't stop talking about her fiance and how wonderful this young man is that she's about to marry. Uh, we've all experienced a person like that. What if I were to tell you that that's not very distant from the whole notion of evangelism. It's very much like what, um, what we're talking about is we're taking the initiative to share about Jesus. I mean, uh, you know, Jesus is like the best, right? <laughs> it's the subtext of every sermon. Jesus is the best. It's like he's our fiance, so to speak. And uh, we can't keep our mouths shut, at least not at all times we can't, because there's something about him that is just so profoundly beautiful in our lives. And the second part, in the power of the Holy Spirit, I won't belabor this. I'll simply put, I'll I'll simply say that if you were to read through the book of Acts in the Bible, you'll discover that part of the Holy Spirit's job description is to actually empower the believer to talk about Jesus out loud to those who don't know him. And the third part of the definition, so let's start at the beginning. It is um, taking the initiative to share Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit and then leaving the results to God, leaving the results to God, which is really, really great. It's my favorite part because it's freeing. In other words, it doesn't depend on me. It doesn't depend on how good I am at articulating this message. Uh, my part is to, exper- or is to foster some sort of courage to bring up the subject and then watch what the Holy Spirit says through me. And uh, it's, the, the results are never up to us. So that should really free up our hearts Even if you do the worst possible job, just like totally botch it, it's okay. In fact, it's a success if you took the initiative. I love the way that Dan talks about uh, evangelism, the way he talks about Jesus. I just want to just take the next couple of moments here just to kind of build off of what Dan just shared. I love his, his uh, definition of evangelism. Um, but let me just provide four practical ways to growing in this area. And the first one is to pray. Like to pray that God would save the people that you're trying to share the gospel with. Like if we believe that God and God alone changes hearts, that the results really are up to God, then we will pray. I even think about prayer and the role that it has in our lives of of training our hearts to prioritize the right things. I think that's so true. Like we pray about the things that we think are important. And so if we wanna grow in this area, the more that we pray 
about opportunities to share the gospel, the more that this will train our hearts to making it a priority in our lives. And so make sure that you're praying. And then secondly, another way that we can grow is to become a regular. All right, one of the, the barriers that, uh, that I hear oftentimes when, when I'm talking to believers about trying to share the gospel is that they don't know any unbelievers. They, they don't have those opportunities. And so my encouragement would be just to become a regular at, at coffee shops, at restaurants, at maybe the gym that you work out in or events going on in your neighborhood or at your, your child's school and, and to foster those relationships and to be intentional about building those relationships with unbelievers just to see how the Lord might use that. And then thirdly here, another way that we can grow is to be fluent in the gospel around unbelievers and believers. Talking a lot about gospel fluency because that's really part of the purpose of this sermon series is that we would be so shaped by the gospel that you and I would just talk about Jesus more, just in normal conversations, that we'd be so saturated with him that that's who we end up talking about. And I think that's what gospel fluency is, that your private worship comes out in your public living. In fact, Jeff uh, Vanderstelt, who's written the book uh, called Gospel Fluency, describes it this way, that to become fluent in a new language, you must immerse yourself in it and commit to practicing it over and over again. You must use it every day until you actually start thinking about life through it. Becoming fluent in the gospel happens the same way. After believing it, we have to intentionally rehearse it to ourselves and to others and immerse ourselves in its truths. Only then will we start to see how everything in our lives, from the mundane to the magnificent, is transformed by the hope of the gospel. So taking those gospel truths and talking about it in regular conversation. And then fourth, the last thing that I would just encourage us to do this morning, and really I wanna challenge you with this one, is for you to master your testimony. Master your testimony. I'm just so struck by the Apostle Paul in Acts 26, when he's standing before Agrippa, and at a moment's notice, he's able to share his testimony. Like as believers, we need to have that ability to talk about who we were before Christ saved us, who we were when Christ saved us and how he saved us, and then how God has changed us after God has uh, saved us. And I think having that uh, kind of in our back pocket, whether you're, you're talking to somebody for two minutes in the elevator or you're grilling hot dogs in your backyard and you're talking to your neighbor for 10 minutes, like you're able to use your story in order to get to the gospel. And, and I just wanna encourage, I, I've heard this too, don't be embarrassed if your testimony is boring. <laughs> like praise God that he protected you from deep sin and let me just remind us that every testimony is a miracle. Like every testimony, every salvation story of, of God taking you who, were, who is dead in their sins and making them alive in Christ is a miracle. And if you're a Christian, you have that story and you need to be able to share that with other people. And so I just wanna challenge you to maybe this afternoon, maybe this week to grab a pen, grab a piece of paper and to write out your testimony, write out the way that God saved you, rehearse it, memorize it, and be ready to share that at a given's notice. I love Peter's exhortation here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared 
to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Well, as I close, I want to share a story that involves a famous magician and comedian named Penn Gillette. Some of you know who that is. He's a well-known atheist, and he shares this story of, of after one of his shows, he had this, this man, this Christian man, come up to him and actually hand him a Bible. And Pendulette was so struck by this interaction because he talks about how respectful this man was, how kind he was, how compassionate. And it didn't lead to Penn's conversion or, or believing in the existence of God. But, but Penn did talk about uh, evangelism and he made some startling statements. Remember, this is from an atheist, but he asked this question. He says, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible but not to tell them that. This is coming from an atheist, right? He goes on to say, uh, in, in, in talking about how Christians use the excuse that it's too socially awkward to sharing the gospel, he says this, again, from an atheist. He says, if I believed a truck was going to hit you, but you didn't believe my warning, there would come a certain point where I would just tackle you. He says, forget being socially awkward. If someone is going to die, do whatever you can to get them out of danger. And he goes on to say, and being hit by a truck is one thing, but spending for all of eternity in hell, being eternally separated from God is on a whole new level. And so he says, if you would tackle someone to keep them from being hit by a truck, wouldn't you at least risk social embarrassment to warn others about hell. Man, what a challenge from, 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 an, from an atheist about what we are called to do, how to think about taking the good news of Jesus to those around us. Because the reality is, you know and I know, there are people all around us who they're on this course of eventually will be hit by the truck of hell unless you and I open our mouth and talk about Jesus. And so I want to ask you, as we close this morning, where do you need to grow in this area? Like, what, what steps do, do you need to be more intentional? Do you need to grow your prayer life for unbelievers? Do, do you need to think strategically about how to develop relationships with unbelievers? Do you need to intentionally fill your heart with the greatness and the love of Jesus so you're more fluent in gospel language? Or do you need to master your testimony today so that you're ready at a given's notice to talk about how God has saved you. Church, let's be a people who so adore the God of the gospel that we are regularly articulating it because of the greatness of Jesus, the love of Jesus, and the surrendered example of Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we thank you and we praise you that you use inadequate and weak people like us to display the glory of the gospel. God, we thank you for this privilege. We thank you really for the joy of being able to talk about you with other people. And Lord, I pray that you would protect us from being motivated by guilt, from being motivated by I have to uh, mindset. But Lord, help us just to talk about and, and to allow the love of Jesus to overflow into our normal conversations. So God, would you grip us again and again by how good and loving you are. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.